0: Welcome to the life of Christ, series 5, this is lesson 27, and uh, we're going to begin in chapter 19. I'm going to just do a quick review on it. Uh, Let uh, let me begin right at the top of the page. As a result of walking in all the virtues of the Beatitudes, and taking heed of all the woes, Jesus now goes on to describe the believer in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16 as salt and light. This section of scripture is unique to Matthew's gospel. Luke has no parallel. Remember again that we're running Luke's account along with Matthew's account because we're doing the life of Christ, not just Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In fact, we won't encounter the next uh, parallel to Matthew's gospel until we get to Matthew 5.43, where Jesus addresses the subject of loving your enemies and their Luke gives us some insights as well. So, reading in Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen through sixteen, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. Remember again the Greek word there is gay, referring to the physical land or ground which we walk on. So Jesus is saying that we are the salt of the physical earth, not some imaginary okay, plane or a spiritual plane. We are literally the salt of this earth. Amen. And he says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now here, it's a different Greek word. First it was earth, meaning the earth itself, and now it's the world, meaning the world's system. And sometimes it also means organized humanity. Which is what the world systems are. You know what I'm trying to say? Amen? Okay. And he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. I really love that he says a city set on a hill. Not a little little house. Okay. <laughs> Verse 15, he says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. We'll be talking about all that as we go along. Verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we have, we have discussed that verse on the Sundays, uh, when we were talking about good works, and those things that were holy before God, amen, uh, not religiously. <laughs> and uh, we'll look more into that as we get to it. In his commentary, Leon Morris explains that Jesus now points to the penetrating power of the gospel and the penetrating power of people who are transformed by it. Um, let me just stop there. This, this is a very powerful statement. When he talks about the penetrating power of the gospel, and the penetrating power of the people, he says, who are transformed by it, it means that regardless of what walls the enemy puts up, regardless of what walls darkness puts up, regardless of how dark things get, we are meant to, this light is meant to penetrate, and that's why he's going to call us the light of the world. This is meant to penetrate all of that. And as believers, as we get stronger in faith, we will learn to do that more and more. And one of the things that we need to also, I guess, understand and, and, and realize is that in time, as we grow in faith, that penetrating power will actually penetrate through all the curse that has been placed on this earth as a result of the fall. And, you know, we want to penetrate that you know, to the degree where blessing begins to flow into those places. Amen? And and places where darkness thought it had, you know, an ultimate hold, that this gospel and you, wherever you go, you carry that in you, that as, as you walk into a place, you are literally casting out things in that place, just by your presence there. It's very interesting how, you know, when Jesus, whenever He walked up to a demoniac or something, somebody that was possessed, that they would look at him, before he spoke a word, they'd, they'd go, ah, we know who you are. You know, you're Jesus, this, you know, the son of God and everything else. And, and and they'd just freak out. You know, whereas today in society, usually the people freak out. When they, you know, when they see a devil, it's like, oh, it's a devil. And they're looking for the first exit. So I, I think it's really, you know, important that we understand what this actually is saying. And take it to heart. And it says, they have been accepted by God in all their lowliness. And we have to take that, you know, take it carefully, that word, because, I, you know, this is not saying that you are low. Okay? Remember again that this lowliness, and you know, because people read this and they go, oh, I don't want this, I don't like this, because it says lowliness. You know, aren't we meant to be children of God? Yes, we are. But we're not meant to be people that walk around arrogant and proud. Amen? Remember Jesus said, the servant of all, the greatest of all, is the servant of all. And we need to have that serving attitude and always have that sense of lowliness and we're not fighting for our own rights and we're not fighting to make ourselves look good. And so that's why this is really important as well. That we understand that what this says is you know again they have been accepted we have been accepted by god in all of our lowliness and regardless of how much we didn't have god received us and i think that's really key as well that god isn't looking for you know a certain class of people like some places do <laughs> you know you know some churches you can't go there because they're just too you know upper class you know you can't afford to go there you know what i'm trying to say i'm just saying man you know and people that go to places, that read stuff like this, and it it irks them. Because there's a pride on the inside of them, that won't allow them to receive something and realize that, hey, man, yes, we are children of God. Yes, we are more than conquerors. Yes, we are overcomers. But at the same time, we're not there to get our way. Amen? All right, moving on. It says, and Jesus has spoken of their blessedness, now he turns to their responsibility. So remember again, we looked at all this beatitude, and every single one of them was blessed, and he went on with that. You know? So there was a blessing on all of those things. So now he's saying, all right, now that you are so blessed, <laughs> okay, even to the point of seeing God, remember that? Amen. Being peacemakers and seeing God, and so on and so forth. He turns around and says, now you've got some responsibility. You need to do something with all of that. Amen? And that responsibility comes in the form of being both salt and light to the world around us. William Hendrickson comments further on this and says, By means of these two emblems, salt and light, an important truth is revealed. And that is that those people whom the world, including the scribes and Pharisees, hates most, are exactly the ones to whom it owes the most to. That is such a key thing. And again, we, we looked at all of this last week, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time, but you know, this is another one of those real key things that the people that don't like Christians, the people that say, Oh, you know, you're all so religious and everything else, in interesting when they get in trouble, could you pray for me? Right. Hello. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's this love hate relationship. I call it a love hate relationship, you know. They love us to pray for them, but they hate the, the, uh, the, uh, the guilt that comes along with it sometimes, you know, because they look at us and they say, I feel guilty. They start, you know, because you know what? The Holy Spirit convicts them. He's always trying to make you better. That conviction isn't to take your fun away. He's trying to tell you there are things in your life that you need to get rid of that is going to lead you to destruction. Amen? And the first thing sinners need is Jesus. He won't talk to them about anything else except that. <laughs> you know, So you become a reminder of that and a, and a pain in their side a little bit. But you know, for those that receive that and get born again, they thank you. Amen? They come and say, if not for you, I used to be stubborn and I used to be this, and, and thank God you didn't stop praying for me. Amen? Okay. In other words, without Christians in this world praying and doing what is right in the sight of God, there would be no blessings manifested, and life would become miserable and unbearable, and literally degenerate to the worst possible condition imaginable. The Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse of this in Romans chapter one, and I read all these verses last week. So, is that okay if I skip over them? Uh, Depressing verses, anyway. Okay, (laughs) all right. When when he he talks about all the you know the the wrong kind of life. Okay, wickedness and sin and greed and hate and all that wonderful stuff. In stark contrast to all of this are the Beatitudes to which Jesus says that those who live out those qualities will become salt and light and permeate the world, while at the same time greatly hindering its moral and ethical decay. I'm on the next page now, page 3. Now we've caught up. How many minutes? Nine minutes, sorry about that. And to do this effectively... We as salt and light must learn what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. this is, this, this is where it gets difficult. Even Christians today are just you know, I see them slipping, <laughs> you know. They're in the world and, and they become of the world. And Jesus says, Okay, you're in it, but you you cannot be of it. You need to be separate from it. Amen. The reason is the world system is designed to take you down. God's system is designed to take you upward. Amen. And that's the whole thing. Because Satan... you know, Let me just give you this. I'll give you some insight. You want some insight? Let me give you some insight. Satan doesn't want anybody to co-rule with him. His job is to make sure that everybody is below him. Are you all with me? Isn't that interesting? Whereas God does the exact opposite. He's saying, come up and be seated together with Christ Jesus in heavenly places at my right hand. The devil will never say that. You all with me? And so this is the reason why, you know, you need to have that little bit of insight, and understand that the whole world system is designed to push you down. And some, some of you really feel it, <laughs> you know, that are in the world. And, you know, they're always just, you know, people with attitudes and always keep pushing you down, you know what I'm trying to say? And, you know, that, and what shouldn't be happening is that the church does the same thing. Naughty on the church when they do. What they're meant to do is lift you up and bring you to a place where you... <laughs> Let me just say this as well. You know, th- that's why you have to be careful. I have no problem, you know, with the with some some of the religions, and you know how they have uh, a confessional and stuff like that? That's fine. I have no problem with that. Okay? So can I say that up front? So you know where I'm coming from? Okay. Alright. But we need to be careful that people aren't thinking that that's the only way that they can get absolution for their sins and whatever. When, when the Apostle John says, if we confess our sins, not to a priest, but if we just acknowledge our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that puts us on an equal playing field it means that you can go to god directly because you are a child of god amen and so that you you know you begin to understand that that's how god planned this he planned for us to get back to the place where he said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion just like i have dominion let them have dominion that's what you don't see that's what you don't read he says in the way that i have dominion in heaven let them have dominion in this on this realm See, God it doesn't have... He is king of heaven, and He placed Adam and Eve as king, and, you know, and queen, so to speak. Alright, let's just say king. Okay, Kings of this earth. Of this realm. It was not meant to be just the earth, by the way. It was meant to be this whole realm. Because when you read Psalms, it says that it actually tells... I think it's in Psalm 8 somewhere. It talks about all the works of God's hands were placed under man's dominion. You're with me. So, anyway, so we see this constantly happening that the devil is always trying to suppress and push down. God is always looking to lift up and reinstate. Amen? Amen. Okay, where was I? All right. (laughs) Um, That was the prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. That being in the world, but not of the world. Um, in John chapter 17, when he said in verses 11, 16, and 17, there are selected scriptures, he says, in, first of all, in verse 11, John 17, 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Okay, <laughs> then he says, verse sixteen, they are not of the world. Notice in the world of the world. Okay, he says they are not of the world, just as I am not. That I am not of the world. So he's saying, listen, they've come to the place now where they're not of the world as much as I'm not of the world. Which is really interesting because I've, it's almost like there's a salvation on credit there, because he hasn't died yet. Amen. That's why he said, you know. I have to die, I have to go to the cross. Remember um, Peter said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And he said, get there behind me, Satan. (laughs) Okay, because he had to do this. Otherwise, none of them get born again. You know Pete, right, before he died, denying him to everyone. You know, children, whatever came along. He said, I'm not with that man. After the cross, he stands up in front of all these Jews, religious, that had lemons in their mouth and told them all off (laughs) you know i mean wow what happened to that man he died when jesus died he died that's why jesus said you don't realize i have to die when i die then your life is hidden in me amen and you receive my life hallelujah and then you can live this life in the power of god praise god amen amen Anyway, back to this. He says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 18, he says, As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So we need to understand something here that Jesus sent us into the world. If he sends us, then means that he's responsible for how we do. We are responsible for how we listen. <laughs> okay? Don't just run out there and do something for God, and God said, I, I wasn't me. I, you know, that's why I said always understand the difference between good and God. You know, there's a lot of good things people run out there and do and say, "God, you must, you must be okay with this because it's a good thing." But you know, a good thing and a God thing are two separate things because a good thing out of God's time will not be a God thing. Absolutely. Do you get what I just said? Okay, because you might say, "Well, how can a good thing not be a God thing when it's out of time, when it's done at the wrong time?" Right. Amen. So. Amen. Alright. <clears throat> so now when we combine this, being in the world but not of the world, with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13-16, through 16, that we are salt and light, what we understand is that even though we are to be totally different from the world, we are still an integral and essential part of it. Okay. It is really important that we understand that we are sewn into the fabric of everything that's here. Even though we're not of the world, you know, it's almost like, um, I'm trying to think of a... Uh, you know, when you look at a chemical structure okay, of something, say water, for example. You all know water? Does everybody know? H2O? You know that, H2O, right? Okay, I can play with that. Okay, you know, H2 means there's two hydrogens, and there's one little oxygen. Okay? And so let's, let's say that the two hydrogens are little blue balls, okay, and the oxygen is a red ball. That's you. You are not a hydrogen, but you're a part of the molecule. Are you all with me? See, it's really interesting that oxygen is a much bigger molecule, or, or an atom I should say, a much bigger atom than a hydrogen. The hydrogens are little things. The oxygen is pretty massive compared to it. Just because there's one of you, doesn't mean you're the weaker. It's not about the numbers, it's about whose you are. It's about who lives in you. It's about the power of God in your life. It's about you exercising faith. Yeah. It's about you having dominion. Are you all with me? And I can keep going, but can I stop there? All right? So that's, that's kind of what the picture is. If you can get an understanding, that's what this is talking about. You are an integral part of the thing, and you being there makes a difference. Let's get back to this before getting into trouble. All right, so that's what I mean by, and, and I hope you take it for what it means, okay? What, what I'm trying to say, that we are still an integral and essential part of it, even we are, though we are totally different. With all this in mind, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5 and see why Jesus says in that first part of verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. Although salt is very common today and can be purchased almost anywhere, uh, that wasn't the case in Jesus' day, as you know. Back then it was quite rare, and as a result, you know, some people actually receive their wages through salt, okay? That's, that's where we get the word salary from, by the way. It's like salt money. Okay, that's where salary comes from. All right? And, uh, uh, th- you know, again, where the expression he's not worth his salt, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, and that's it, all right? Uh, in other words, a man's work and worth were measured by the salt he earned. And in light of this, Jesus says, in terms of wealth and worth, okay, that you are the salt of the earth, meaning that we are the determining factor of how valuable a particular society actually is. Isn't that something? You know, I need you to get a, a um, an understanding and an insight of this. There have been places in the world that were Christian, uh, and I won't make mention of any names. I hope you can guess where this is. All right, but there were that were Christian that were overrun and overtaken by another religion that came in there because they're that kind of religion. That kind of is very militaristic, and kind of took over and got rid of all the Christians. And the, the, the place was blossoming, and it was just uh, just a hub of education, and you know just some wonderful things, can I just say that. A lot of creativity, a lot of intellect, a lot of that stuff, was all gone by the end of it. And these people are now, because they've ruined it, looking for another place to go to. And you know people that lived in those kind of societies say, why do you want to go ruin something else? But these people are darkened because of that demonic you know, influence over their life. And you know, that's the thing, that th- this is what this is talking about. That people don't realize that when we are in society, we actually bring light and we bring you know, flavor to that society. Amen. Amen. And a lot of things get unlocked in the spirit that comes down to us in the form of knowledge and learning and so on and so forth because of that. Amen. See, that's why they they literally is you know uh, um, you can draw the lines and sort of see that, that people who are light bring light and bring knowledge and bring freedom. People that are in darkness do the exact opposite. They 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 are opposed to a lot of knowledge because. Everything, you know, everything challenges them. Everything is a threat to them. They have to get rid of anything and everything that might disagree with them. You know what I'm trying to say? And you start destroying things until there's nothing left. Amen. Amen. Okay. Therefore, for example, a society full of Christians should live in and experience God's blessing on a daily basis due to the prayer of the saints in that society and for that society than one without Christians, who are being governed and controlled by demons and ungodly desires. In his commentary, William William MacDonald writes, Jesus likened his uh, his disciples to salt. They were to the world what salt is in everyday life. Salt seasons food. It hinders the spread of corruption. It creates thirst. It brings out the flavor. So his followers add spice to human society. Serve as a preservative and make others long for the righteousness described in the preceding verses. Remember those that hunger after righteousness will be filled. Amen. And hunger and thirst, it in fact, said after righteousness will be filled. So looking at this a little closer, notice first of all that salt seasons food. It brings flavor and adds spice to human society. And when you study the life of Jesus, you find that he was salt wherever he went. He knew how to have fun and be holy all at the same time. Hallelujah. Can I say that? Amen. (laughs) Okay? But his idea of holiness, which is God's idea of holiness, by the way, and religion's idea of holiness were not not the same. This is where the problem was. You know, as a result, he was constantly being criticized by religious leaders of the time. He always getting trouble, okay? For example, in Matthew chapter 9, it says in verses 10 through 13, now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Wonder how his disciples are feeling at this time. (laughs) I just wonder, you know, these guys, you know, probably never went out to a place like this. Now they're with Jesus and they're going to places that, dear God, they never thought they'd ever darken on their door. There's tax collectors and people that everybody spat at. And they're sitting next to him. <laughs> you know, I'd almost be thinking, I'd be sweating there a little bit. Don't you think? I'm just saying, man, I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, <laughs> And verse uh, 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, oh, you little guys, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know they didn't say it nicely, you know that, right? Amen, alright. Verse 12, when Jesus heard it, uh, heard that, he said to them, see Jesus came to the rescue, right? He, he, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now notice he didn't, he didn't say, I didn't come to call the righteous full stop. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Hey, if you're righteous, be righteous. But don't turn your nose up at sinners, because they need to become righteous as well. Right. Amen. Amen. And this is what the problem was, you know, the the, the religious people of the time, you know, they were self-righteous. And so they used to separate themselves from the unclean things, (laughs) you know, all the sinners, you know what I'm trying to say. And, you know, all they would do is look at them and say, you're going to hell and you deserve it, goodbye. Jesus saw people. Jesus saw individuals. Jesus saw everyone had worth. Amen? And to him, whatever he needs to do to get in there, to bring them to that light, and bring them to the knowledge of God, he would do. Because the Jews were meant to be doing that. The Jews were given the Word of God and chosen, not chosen to be superior, but chosen to do a job. You all with me? And because they didn't do what they were chosen to do, they got stuck on the word chosen, didn't realize what they were chosen for. If I choose you, it's to do something. I wouldn't say to Jamie, Jamie, I choose you. Jamie's going, for what? <laughs> I mean, that would be his next... Seriously, somebody says, I choose you, you go, you chose me to do what? You obviously chose me for something. You can't just say, you can't go around going, I'm the chosen one. I'm the cho-, Eddie Murphy, I'm the chosen one. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, for what? What are you chosen? You, if you were chosen, it was for something. Amen, not just chosen to be chosen, you know, <laughs> okay. And that's the whole thing, you know, they get and all the you know, all the religious people say, Oh, the Jews are the chosen people. Yeah, for what? They look at it chosen they look at chosen in, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off track here, but let so be it. They look at chosen in terms of you know, they are God's chosen people, that God has chosen them above everybody else to honor them above everybody else. But that's not what that actually means. God chose them to keep themselves separate, to keep themselves cleansed, so that they could do a job. Because they needed to do something, and they needed a certain sense, or a certain level of purity, can I say that? Okay, and righteousness in order to do this. Because they were meant to be, listen, you need that to hear God's voice. Did you get that? And so they were meant to be that way, not so that they could turn their nose up at people, but so that they could hear God's voice, and then relate that to the people, and bring many to Christ, or many to, the, you know, to faith, okay? Let me say to faith at this moment, because Christ hasn't come yet. But they were meant to uh, educate people about this God, the real one, the one that created all things, amen? The one that, you know, um, Daniel, who was the guy that was over Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar? Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, remember Nebuchadnezzar? When he realized, he said, Daniel, your God is God. That's the realization that these Jews were meant to bring people to. So that they could see the, the kind of life the Jews were living, and the kind of um, uh, dialogue they had with God, and go, you know what, forget our sticks and our stones and our little you know, ornaments and stuff. Your God is the real God. Let's go with that one, shall we? That was what that, that's what they were chosen to do. Are you all with me? Amen. Sorry I went, I went there, but you know, good to know some of these things. Alright, he proves it out. So, uh, let, let me read verse 13 again, is that right? He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So I did not call... Uh, called to the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He proves this out proved this out in Luke chapter nineteen when he went to a chief tax collector's house by the name of Zacchaeus, okay, for which he was also criticized. Did I say it right? Yeah. Zacchaeus? Okay. Uh, with verse 7 saying, But when they saw it, they all complained. saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Oh, you horrible thing. Okay. However, just two verses down, Zacchaeus gets saved. Hmm. With Jesus saying to him in verse 9 and 10, Today, salvation has come to this house. Because he, he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Isn't that beautiful? Amen? It's a celebrated scripture, in fact. Um, It's abundantly clear from this that Jesus knew how to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what we're talking about, okay? How to have fun and still get people saved. Hallelujah. Something again we must become more proficient at. Now, as... Great as this aspect of salt is, it is not the only quality that salt possesses. Remember again that salt also hinders the spread of corruption and serves as a preservative. Since, remember again, there was no refrigeration at that time. Okay, So there were salt things to make it last longer. Okay. In other words, from a spiritual standpoint, as a preservative, we are to keep safe what is good and wholesome in the world. And as the enemy of decay, we are to oppose what is corrupt and harmful. See, we are meant to be that thing that is an enemy to decay. As society begins to decay, we're meant to be an enemy to that thing and we're meant to push it back. Amen. And uh, I, can I say this? Let, let me be vague and say this. <laughs> okay? I was pleasantly surprised because there is a particular bill that is going forth. Jamie mentioned it. And uh, <clears throat> to me, that is uh, not pro-life. Can I put it that way? Is that, am I saying it correctly? Okay. All right. And, uh, and I, was, I was actually quite amazed and quite thrilled. <laughs> not at that. But at uh, a particular uh, member in Parliament that spent half an hour Defending and saying, this shouldn't be going through. That we know more now than we did before. That we understand that you know, life is conscious at a very early stage. okay, And that we shouldn't be making laws based on ignorance. Now that we have knowledge, we need to rethink about what laws. Maybe we need to keep some things, maybe they were right to begin with. Amen. I was very happy with this person. You know, and he made some excellent points about why it should be you know, why it should be that way. And I thought, listen, you know, this is why you know the Bible says we need to pray for, for those people and that's the reason why we're meant to be here praying for people and praying for our government, because there are people like that that are standing in a room full of people and telling them off, <laughs> you know, basically and saying you people are dumb to ever think about this and you're not even thinking about the consequences and all the conditions that you're placing on them are ridiculous. Ah, sitting there thinking, well, hallelujah. Bless him, Lord. <laughs> Amen. So, anyway, I've run out of time. Can we just leave it here, take a break, and come back uh, ASAP? And we'll continue on with the next lesson.